there's Lemieux. The center penalty coming up. Look at Lemieux! Hello to you, radio listeners. It's Talking Hockey, the Hockey Talking Show here on UMFM 101.5 in Winnipeg. We're podcasted anywhere and everywhere that you can, uh, you know, do such a thing. Uh, it is Monday, April 24th. Uh, this is season five, episode 26, an episode we're calling the Fedotenko, as in Ruslan Fedotenko, the Ukrainian-born uh, NHL two-time Stanley Cup winning superstar i'm gonna call him a superstar randy it's co-host tom here with you i've got with me as always co-host randy and uh yeah ruslan ruslan fedotenko superstar well two cups <laughs> you know you, you don't you don't just come across those by accident you no know, so i would say ukrainian superstar not too many sure. ukrainians uh yeah. that that made the nhl um you know so for sure in his in his native ukraine uh, born in Kiev, uh, yeah, I would say Ruslan's probably uh, th- the best hockey player that I can think of from Ukraine. Um, that's that's a fair assumption. Uh, you know, yeah. there's there's not a ton. I remember trying to do the list a while back, but uh, yeah, yeah, like my my uh, my memory of Ruslan Fedotenko in the NHL definitely is is tied to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, during basically during that, uh, you know the cup victory against the calgary flames one yeah. that seems to be like so uh prominent like there's just some seven was... cups where it's like i don't even remember who won that year but that one like <laughs> i just remember being i guess i was just so into it same thing with yeah. the, the one that followed with carolina edmonton uh those, yeah, those were was... classic uh i guess maybe because there was canadian teams involved yeah and they both won seven games and it was just uh but you know, you look back at that Calgary Tampa series, and that was that was a classic Stanley Cup final for the ages, I think. Um, yeah, so pretty pretty close for Calgary, but uh, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, Randy. So we're not gonna we're gonna give that one to Tampa since they did win. Um, but yeah, no, like as you mentioned, we made a list of uh, Russia or of uh, Ukrainian players. Uh, with on a on a past episode, looking back to season four, episode ten, an episode we called the Lafleur. Head back in our archives and take a listen to that one. The reason that we bring that one up is because it was a uh, our guest on that episode was a local, you know, beer league goalie and composer and playwright and movie maker, uh, Danny Schur. And sadly, Danny Schur passed away this past uh, not this past week, but the week before. His funeral was just this past weekend, and uh, he was a of Ukrainian descent and a big, you know, proponent and member of the local sort of uh, Manitoban Ukrainian community. And uh, so it was, um, you know, he was diagnosed with brain cancer back in the fall, and uh, you know, 
sadly passed away April 10th, I believe it was. So he will be missed for sure. We'll have a, a few reflections on Danny. We'll play a clip from that episode that we did with him um, and, uh, and, and more. What we're going to later on in the episode, we'll talk some uh, playoff hockey, some, some Winnipeg Jets and that kind of thing. Uh, but, but let's talk a little bit more right off the hop here about Ruslan Fedotenko. We'll just give you the, the sort of, you know, the Coles notes, if you will. Um, I think is interesting to point out. So he did wear number 26 for basically most of his career. When he was a rookie, he came in with Philadelphia and they gave him number 50, but I don't think he wore that for the whole season. That was kind of just like his training camp number or something that probably got a couple games in. And then he was like, uh, do you mind if I switch to something not so stupid? <laughs> yeah. Not a lot something... of fifties out there. No, it's more of a football defensive lineman number or something like that. I think, um, so then, yeah, he went to he went to number twenty six. When he did play for Tampa and won that Stanley Cup in 04, he was wearing number seventeen. Um, there was uh, a certain guy named Martin Saint Louis on yeah. Tampa who had twenty six. Just, so. just maybe just a bit more seniority. Uh, yeah, in that exactly. Room. Yeah, but then uh, after Tampa, he ended up in Long Island and then Pittsburgh, um, which is where he won his second Stanley Cup. And he wore number 26 there. And then he went after that to the Rangers, where he did wear 19 for a minute, but then also his familiar trusty old number 26. Um, yeah, so here's here's the sort of Cole's notes statistical breakdown on Ruslan Fedotenko. 12 years in the NHL, 863 games. He had 173 goals, 193 assists for 366 points. That's all regular season points. If we look at the playoffs, um, he added 108 playoff games, 22 playoff goals, 18 assists for 40 playoff points over the course of his career. Of course, speaking of that uh, Calgary-Tampa 2004 season, he scored uh, both of the Lightning's goals in Game Seven, so, so um, that does make him a superstar. I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he came through in the clutch moments. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Like, and in the in the finals that he went to with Pittsburgh, where they won the cup, he he had like you know 14 or 15, what was it 14 points 14 in points. 24 games. Yeah, uh, in 09. So. He was definitely, you know, a playoff sort of performer, clutch, clutch player for them. Um, I think it's interesting. Just reading up on his Wikipedia, he he like signed a whole bunch of one year contracts. Like nobody really nobody gave him. No one com uh, commit to. Uh, yeah, yeah, and especially like this line really stood out to me. I think so. He, um, uh, Fedotenko, where was it here? Okay. After a career high 26 goal, 41 point campaign in 0506 with Tampa, Fedotenko was re signed as an RFA, uh, to a one year contract worth 1.65 million. After a 26 goal season, think about what a 20 guy who scores 26, an RFA who scores 26 goals for you in a season nowadays, <laughs> there's no way he's only getting 1.65 million for one. They're going to be like 
here's five years, six yeah. million bucks or something like, you know what I mean? Like teams these days, I don't know what it is, uh, but the, the 26 goals costs you a lot more than 1.6 million these yeah, days. That's for sure. A, like, a couple. So you, as you mentioned, he played 12 seasons and he was pretty much in the playoffs every single season he played like yeah. 108 games in 12 seasons, 108 playoff games in 12 seasons. Like that's, yeah. He went, he went to the dance quite often. And one last thing is uh, in 2011, 2012, he played for the Rangers, the team that lost to the LA Kings in the Stanley Cup final. Oh, that's right. So, so he was in the final three, three yeah. times at least then. And, um, and three years of playing 20 or more games in the playoffs, which means yeah. you get to the dance, you get to the big dance. Yeah. 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 That's, um, that's impressive. I mean, I, you know, you hear about guys who like they win a cup in their first year in the league or whatever. And then they never like make the playoffs again or something, or a guy like Jack Eichel who never made the playoffs at all until this year. Um, and you know, like you can kind of just be on bad teams, be a good player on bad teams, whatever. But it, I think, it, I think it's like, it, it tells you something about the kind of player that Fedotenko was that he was on so many you know, playoff teams that had good deep runs and that kind of thing. Like he was a heavy player, you know, he was big guy, six, one, 200 pounds, heavy forward, uh, kick in with a little bit of clutch scoring now and then. And, uh, yeah, like, uh, and as we've uh, seen in the playoffs, it's like those middle six forwards or even your bottom six forwards that are the ones that tend to make the difference. And that's kind yeah. of where he fit in on both of those teams. Cause in a second cup, obviously he was, playing with uh, Sid and Malkin and and uh yeah. Jordan Stahl. Yeah. Those guys. He was probably on a line with Jordan Stahl actually. That that was the year that uh Pittsburgh this so Detroit and Pittsburgh played two years in a row in the finals. Detroit won the first uh go around and then uh and then Pittsburgh got the better of them in the second one. Yeah, that was um those were two very entertaining Stanley Cup finals as well, you know. Um but yeah, no, it's uh uh I think let's let's change gears from Ruslan now and just like we'll we'll switch from one Ukrainian uh, to another. <laughs> uh and just just wanted to share with the listeners uh, a, a little bit about Danny Sure, who passed away, like I said earlier, uh on April 10th, and his funeral was this past weekend. And and hockey was a huge part of Danny's life. And at the funeral, you know, there was a lot of mentioned about that and uh you know he was he was uh so so afterwards uh a group of the friday night guys that i play hockey with of which danny was our longtime goalie and commissioner um you know he'd been involved in that friday night skate for 25 years or something like that and uh so afterwards there was a, a group of us we went to the the old uh establishment uh down the street where we would always go or where we always go after our Friday skate. And, uh, you know, we were, we we're toasting Danny and, and whatnot. And, and I think he would have really enjoyed that and liked that, you know, that we all, we all went there. We shut the place down 2am, you know, <laughs> and, uh, it was, it was pretty fun. But one of the, one of the guys, Phil champagne, he said he, he gave a really nice sort of toast or whatever to Danny. And and one of the things Phil's French, and he was trying to find the word um, in English to describe 
like to summarize Danny's um, uh, essence or his being or whatever. And uh, he, he could think of the word in French, but he didn't know, he couldn't figure out the translation. And I'm, I apologize because I can't even remember what that word in French is, but, um, but basically he figured it out eventually and it was glue guy. Oh, and, yeah. and Danny was a real glue guy. He, he brought people together and he got them, you know, everybody was, he, he just made everybody feel welcome when, when you like hockey specifically, cause that's how I knew him through hockey. I didn't, I didn't know him in his professional life as a music musician and, and, and writer and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but in hockey, especially like he, he really would bring people in and, and sort of make them feel welcome and really kind of, uh, you know, just create a sense of, uh, you know, team, team or whatever. Um, and, and that was really sort of awesome about Danny in that he could do that. And, uh, so we have a clip of Danny from our episode that we want to play. Um, and it's about five minutes or so, and then we'll come back and we'll play a song after that. But, uh, this, so this, uh, listeners, if you want to go back in the archives, it's season four, episode 10, um, hockey talking hockey.ca no that's not our website <laughs> umfm.com slash you know talking hockey <laughs> so but but go find it and listen to that episode it's a great episode we we have a great chat with danny about all things hockey and and uh you know he was he was uh pretty great on it so this clip is kind of specifically about you know, small town hockey rivalries growing up in, in, in Manitoba and what it was like. He was a little older than me. He was 56 when he died. So he's got about 15 years on me or so. And, um, so th this is like seventies and eighties kind of thing. Um, but yeah, here's the, here's the clip without any further ado. When did it all kind of start for you? Have you like, does it go way back to when you were a, a wee one, like, uh, just, you know, did you did you get put on skates at an early age, or how did it all begin? Not as old as, or not as young as some of the kids do these days. Like you're considered a really bad parent if you don't have your kid on skates by three. There's this <laughs> picture of me at about I was eight or nine, and you should see it. It is a piece of work because I had every piece of old crap gear that you could possibly imagine from my brother who's like 11 years older i had a mcleod's hiawatha helmet which is basically plastic about half a centimeter thick and uh yeah so i started back in ethelbert i'm from a little town 300k north of here and um it had the coldest rink on the planet no artificial <laughs> ice uh, just natural ice, which got, is it stalagmites or stalactites that fell from the ceiling that had to be scraped off. And I swear to God, if it was minus 30 outside, it was minus 40 inside. Leonard Juliak <laughs> cried from frozen feet more than you can imagine. I, uh, and I was about <laughs> eight or nine when I started. And yeah. I played forward for like a couple of years till I discovered goalie. Haven't looked back since. So have you always uh like what did you have you played right through from being a kid till now or did you like a lot of us randy myself included you know 
we didn't play during our 20s and that kind of thing um picked it up again as adults but uh what about you so on the day i graduated i was like f hockey i'm gonna be a world (laughs) famous musician uh and i sold my gear for 200 dollars, all of it to the local really good goalie glenn coster was his name and 10 years to the day i bought it back from him for the same (laughs) price (laughs) and i I don't know where those 10 years went. I guess it was university. I guess it was starting my career, but somewhere near the end of those 10 years, I was like, am I out of my mind? Why am I not playing hockey? And since that day, so I was 28, I've played like just constantly. And now five times a week, I should be way better for the amount I play. (laughs) Jumping back to the Ethelbert uh, scene there, Okay. Oh, were, were there were there any like who was your who were your rivals back then Were you know like was there some epic you know uh, rivalries and, and matches like that went through the years there oh man so it wasn't just that it was hockey rivalry it was small town rivalry yeah. if you haven't lived in a small town you really can't explain to people how messed up it was like we were not just enemies of okay so i came from ethelbert the mortal enemy towns were winnipegosis about 20 miles to the east dolphin (laughs) gilbert plains grandview even as far out as robin and russell actually was on the ice against flurry the score was 18 to 1 and i swear to god he got 16 of the goals (laughs) (laughs) And so it wouldn't just be the 1970s and early 80s crazy, really violent hockey stuff. We continued it off the ice. So just as an example, we go public skating in Dauphin. And there is, uh, I forgot the guy's first name, Livingstone is his last name, either Daryl or Darren. If he's listening, he's going to let me down. (laughs) (laughs) we just had this mortal hate on for dolphin so we're public skating and i skate by him in the opposite direction and spit in his face (laughs) like how stupid is that he would have killed me if my friends hadn't peeled him off of me so yeah it was pretty nuts the hockey rivalry in those days was pretty legendary oh and also saint rose weird coincidence i'm really good friends with colin legal who used to play with uh saint rose and i play with him often but the small town hockey rivalries are just epic that's awesome we had a similar thing because i grew up in stonewall and so our our rivals were warren and you know there was like fights in the stands and like just (laughs) this crazy stuff one last question about ethelbert what were your jerseys like did you guys have like team uniforms Yo, you bet. We were the Ethelbert Eagles. I can see it still. Get this. I designed the eagle. Uh, And it was not only the eagle on our hockey jerseys, but then we transplanted it onto our... um, There was two sets of hockey jackets that the whole team had. One baby blue that was the ugliest thing ever. And then we were like... (laughs) 
we got to do way better than this. And then we got uh, these cool jackets. I still have in the closet here with black leather arms and gray Melton. The Eagle did look kind of screwy in embroidery, <laughs> but oh man, we look good. Even if we sucked as a team at tournaments, we it's look all that good. matters. It's all that yeah, matters. Yeah. Right on. Look good, feel good, yeah. uh, play good. Eh, yeah. That's to be debated. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you gotta love those small town Canada rivalries though. Like I grew up in a town similar size to Dauphin. And um yeah, we had, you know, Tatamagush was our like most hated rival. It seemed like we had some fierce games with those guys, but uh <clears throat> yeah, you you're, you want to talk about like bench clearing brawls and whatever. <laughs> it's hilarious because then you grow up a little bit and you're like, oh hey, uh, you see them at the you know, like around town or whatever. Yeah. And what's it's, uh, it's funny is at that age, your perceived vision of what the rivalry is. So here's my screwed up thinking. Dauphin may be the most Ukrainian, Canadian cultural town by population on the planet. I mean, they have the national Ukrainian festival for crying out loud, but somehow in my head because of guys like Livingston who had a English name in my head I was like the English live in Dauphin <laughs> we must kill them you know <laughs> okay so that was our clip with Danny Schur from season four episode 10 uh yeah rest in peace Danny and, and Randy you were just wanted to add something here as well yeah, so for those of you maybe not familiar with Danny, uh, you know, like as Tom mentioned, he's a, a beer league uh, legend, definitely here in Winnipeg, S South Osborne, uh, the the crew that he represented and got together down there. But <clears throat> professionally, uh, he's done a lot of great work um, from musicals to music to, to film production. Uh, mainly, I wanted to mention um, he made a he made a film about uh, – another Ukrainian Winnipeg yeah. or Terry, Terry Sachuk. Uh, so um, I remember hearing, uh, you know, a lot and we talked about, uh, you, you know, on the show, we've talked about uh, our favorite hockey movies and hockey documentaries and that sort of thing. And, and that's, uh, that's one that definitely everyone should, should check out. And um, also Danny's work with um, the strike uh, yeah. production. Uh, that's, I think probably his, his main piece that he's recognized for. But uh, if you rewind, you know, well into the past, um, he, I think he's, I, I think he can be credited with the one who discovered Chantal Kraviasek. Like he worked yeah, he with was her. like producing for yeah. her back in the early days. Or, yeah, yeah. He worked with her very early in her career. And, uh, and a little shout out, like my, my first um, practicum placement out of right out of college was at sunshine records on selkirk avenue in in uh north winnipeg and danny sure his studio was in that same building and i would oh, no get way. To, i would get to see him every once in a while i was i was working with uh the other folks at sunshine records but i remember danny uh in the next studio and and because danny comes from the same area of the province that my family comes from ethelbert gilbert plains grandview the whole parkland area uh, you know, there was obviously like 
you know, Manitoba and Ukrainian, the, the pierogi district, <laughs> uh, you know, that's, it's pretty, it's pretty small when, you know, everybody kind of knows everybody. So I remember always yeah. hearing about Danny and Ethelbert and that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah, he'll, he'll be uh, greatly missed, but uh, not forgotten. And obviously there's a lot of stuff of, of his, you know, a lot of his, his work out there for, for people to, you know, take some time and, and check it out and especially yeah, for the sure. Sawchuk, uh, documentary. Yeah, he was very he was really proud of that Sawchuck movie and uh on the episode that we had with him he had a replica mask a uh, replica Sawchuck mask that he remember he showed us um that was pretty cool so yeah no definitely uh a a big loss for the community but yeah he he won't be forgotten anytime soon that is for sure so Let's throw to a little tune here. Um, we're going to play songs in the theme of the Winnipeg Whiteout, songs with uh, either the word white in them or uh, the band with the name white or whatever. So the first one that we're going to go with is White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane, an absolutely classic beauty of a song. It's kind of the first one that comes to mind when you think of, when you think of the songs with the word white in it. So without, uh, yeah, let's let's get into it here on Talking Hockey, the Hockey Talking Show. Here's uh, White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane. One pill makes you larger, and one pill makes you small. And the ones that mother gives you don't do anything at all. Go ask Alice when she's ten feet tall. And if you go chasing rabbits and you know you're going to fall Tell them our hookah smoking caterpillar has given you That was Jefferson Airplane with uh, their smash hit, White Rabbit. Uh, famous, you know, San Francisco kind of hippie band that really evolved through the times. Um, that's that's one of their earlier hits. You know, they became Starship. No, Jefferson Starship. I was going to say Starship Trooper. No, that's an entirely <laughs> that's, different yeah. thing. Um, anyway, uh, Randy... Speaking of white rabbits and uh, whiteouts, uh, what about that whiteout that happened downtown Winnipeg on Saturday? 
There were thousands of fans in the streets. Uh, there were thousands of fans in the hockey rink. And the building was pretty loud. Uh, there was uh, quite a hockey game that got played in front of the sold-out crowd there at Canada Life. You know, unfortunately, the Jets lost 5-4 in double overtime. Um, uh, so they're now trailing the series 2-1. Game four goes tonight, Monday night. And uh, so we'll see what happens then. <laughs> we can't predict the future but like what are your what are your what's your like takeaway from that game three like like without even really kind of think what's well, the first thing that comes to mind when you're like game three uh well <clears throat> i was in the building i was like filming um and it's kind of a weird situation because i'm filming people watching the game like i'm doing a video about certain season ticket holders so while I'm in the building, I'm not fully engaged in the game. Like it's tough to keep track of what is going on in the game. But obviously, um, the the Jets going down um, two, like fairly early in the game, yeah. uh, you could feel some of the life get sucked out of the building a little bit. Um, ultimately, we haven't really seen the Jets um, come back from a lot of, you know, being down in a lot of games this year. So. You could see people losing interest. I don't think people left, but people like going from my different shooting locations, you know, there was a fair amount of people just enjoying the, the amenities in the, the festivities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that sort of thing. But, um, you yep. know, you, you can't discount the jets fighting back scoring yeah. three in the third to tie it up. What you know, you could feel, the energy building in the third yeah. period, especially after uh Nita Ryder scored. You yeah, could, that goal could, was huge. You could sense uh it was coming. And uh and then yeah, with Adam Lowry, like no no better jet, I think, in my opinion, like this year, like no knock against um Hellebuck and Josh Morrissey, who unfortunately is out for the series. But like Adam Lowry is legitimately someone who like brings it like every freaking yeah. shift. Like and every shift, for, yeah. For him to score that building was going wild. Um, it just, you know, it, well, he got, it would have he been got, sorry. I was just going to say, he got knocked on his butt, you know, first shift of the game or whatever, which yeah, is something you hit. don't really see very often at yeah. all ever. Yeah. Um, and then unfortunately, yeah, the Vegas kind of tacked, tacked a, an early goal on there. Um, but yeah, no, like for him to, uh, to, to bang in that puck at the, I forget how much time was left. Like a minute, 20 seconds or 20 seconds. Yeah, yeah. 27 seconds or something like that. So that was huge. Um, and you're right. Like he's been the best jet in the, so far through the first three games of this series down the stretch. He was, he's been, you know, um, he had that like super long goalless drought in the season. Yeah. yeah. Um, Cause he started the season like, pretty good like you know he's not like an offensive he's not really an offensive kind of guy but he's got a bit of a touch and uh, yeah anyway he uh he started the season like pretty good and then went ice cold for like two months or whatever it was but but does he i think he's got three goals now in three games in in the in the playoffs two or three like he might even have four four well yeah yeah, i don't know 
but um you know he's scoring more than uh connor and shifley combined actually right now i True. think those yeah. guys only have what two or three yeah shifley but- got the one last night and then like the, the he got the third or sorry on saturday night he got the third goal there um but yeah it was um you know, I think the Jets need more out of their sort of top players, you know. Um, well, they also shook up the lines there in the third. They put, yeah. uh, you know, and you know who I've been enjoying is Nemestikov. Like, he yeah. he started playing with Shifley and Wheeler in the third, and then Niederreiter went with Connor and Dubois, which clearly yes. worked because each of those lines scored a goal, and then with the with the net empty at the end you know it was kind of a combination of all those players with Lowry out there and Shifley and um Wheeler um and Nemestikov actually um yeah it I I that's that's you know you wouldn't say that maybe Chevy uh, hit a home run at the trade deadline but adding those two guys uh has, has been key and like we said earlier in the show like the middle six and the bottom six are are key uh to to your your team's playoff run and those guys have definitely added to the depth and and you know last game uh Stenland scoring a goal and you know um uh Sakumekalin or Sakumenalinen um like laying laying the checks like every time he was hitting somebody yesterday the crowd was was loving it and 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 cheering yeah. and stuff like that like every Every little, every hit, every hit, like uh, it was kind of injecting some energy back into the building, but yeah, it, you know. I don't want to dogpile on the whole like woe is Winnipeg and we're underdogs thing or whatever, but it just would have been so sweet if they would have won that game in double overtime. Like that would have been a game that we talk about like in 10 years and 15 years. It's like, remember yeah. when the Jets came back from being down three run. and winning in double OT or whatever, uh, you know, unfortunately. I really did think that they were going to be able to find that goal to win the game because just the way that they were going, like they were playing they were playing hard, physical, fast. Um, you know, they, I, they, they just, uh, it actually blew my mind in the first overtime that they didn't register a shot for like, yeah, it's a while, a yeah. long stretch of that first overtime, which, uh, they, they started on, they started, there was short-handed. a post and stuff, but yeah, they started shorthanded and then, but they did control a lot of the place. Uh, it's just that the Vegas was doing a great job blocking shots and posts don't count as shots on goal or whatever. Cause I think it was Dubois maybe that hit a post there and that was so close to ending it. So it was a rather unfortunate ending because it was, it took a bad bounce. Uh, Samberg tried to clear it off a yeah. dude's leg right up the middle and I think it was Stevens, no, uh, Amadeus, Amade- Amadio, and he just spun, you know, didn't even look. And he was yeah. like off balance. He just turned and fired it the way she goes in, in the net. And uh, that's the kind of goal it was going to take to win that hockey game, you know, it felt like. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's a tough loss, but here's the good news. I guess if you're a Jets fan is that the series is only two, one, the Jets play at home for game four, you know, they can easily, I mean, easily, they can tie this thing up two, two the yeah, series. They, they win, and, they win game four. And then that earns them game six back in Winnipeg as well. Yeah. Uh, so you know, it turns into a best of three. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Like, what do you, what do you think? Um, like obviously with Morrissey, 
Yeah, that sucks. Out. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Neil Pionk brought it. I think he had three assists yesterday. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like he stepped in. I think he played 40-plus minutes or something crazy like that. Yeah. Obviously, he's seen in double overtime. There's, like, a lot of – and only 5D, you you know, you got to – you got to – Eat, eat up that those minutes somehow and he he took most of them but yeah um you know he's gonna he's obviously gonna be on the power play now it's um, gonna be counted on for a little more and he played pretty good i liked the, the way i mean i i know neil pionk catches a lot of flack sometimes about his play and i think overall he's pretty solid i mean i don't know he's he's maybe gets um he he gets the flack for his defensive struggles sometimes, but I think he's not not too bad. Like I I I don't mind him at all, and he's he played really good on the weekend. And the Jets are going to need him to really sort of step up. Do you think they bring in Stanley or Copo Cabianco or I, I would assume think? it's Stanley, but uh, yeah yeah. Also, like I wonder, like you know, we haven't really heard much unless you have, like as far as Nikolai either. It's like. It sounded like Man, he's gonna another, play game one. I know, uh, but then there's now, another thing. It's like, why isn't he playing? He declared himself ready to go. Yeah. What's the holdup? <laughs> if, if we <laughs> like, if we see playoffs. him um, tomorrow or Monday, uh, then you know maybe there's a little bit of a, a boost uh, for the Jets. They, they've missed him for sure. His speed, his zone entries, especially on the on the power play. Um, I mean, it's. Blake Wheeler's been chugging along and doing his thing, but especially like uh, on the power play, you know, I'd like to see Wheeler not on that first unit, put, put Ehlers there. Um, he just, Wheeler's been handling the puck like a live grenade. It looks <laughs> like sometimes, you know, and well, here, here's uh, some interesting stats. So Neil Pionk, is leading the Jets in points in the playoffs with zero goals and five assists. And Adam Lowry is is next with four goals and zero assists. Yeah. Uh, then we got Kyle Connor with two and one, Dubois with one and two, Niederreiter one and two, Wheeler with one and two. Mm. Um, Shifley kind of down, way down with only one goal and Just zero assists. Just the one assists. goal so far. Yeah. Yeah, it, um, yeah he's, he's also... I mean, you look at the shots on goal. Like Kyle Connor has twenty-one shots on goal in the series. Mark Shifley has eight. There, I noticed it during the game on Saturday a couple of times, and you know what I mean. They ended up kind of moving the puck around and whatever, but it's like they pass up shots sometimes, and they were severely sure. outshot on Saturday. Yeah. And I don't know if they're just looking for a better look or whatever, but sometimes I think you just got to hammer the puck on the net and then. Well, did you see uh, Morgan Riley's goal yesterday to win for over? No, I didn't, but. Uh, like he got uh, the shot. Like it's like he got it towards the net and it found its way through. Like I feel yeah. the jets are dishing off, like, especially when they're at the kind of at the top, like with a, you know, at the top in, in the middle of the, of the zone at the blue line, like get it towards the net. They tend to pass it off to the, to the dot or to the circle to get, maybe get a shot from there. But like, you know, a shot from there is going to miss and it's going to go around the boards and come out or whatever. Whereas yeah. just like, like muck it up, like put it, put yeah. it on just net. Just get and, it on net. If there's yeah. a crowd in front, just low or, you know, just get it, try and get it through. I guess that's the thing. And Vegas does a very good job of crowding out the front of the net and getting in lanes and all that kind of stuff. 
But I think the Jets do a decent job of that too. But still, the Vegas got almost fifty shots on goal last uh, on Saturday, and uh, yeah, I think you know the Jets could just stand to have more shots on goal. Like it's crazy though. You look at the three games of the series so far. Game one, the Jets completely controlled that one, severely limited uh, Vegas's shots in that one. I think Vegas ended up with seventeen shots or something like that. And, you know, the Jets really controlled most of the play. Game two, first period was all Jets, but then the rest of the game was all Vegas. And, um, you know, so the game one and two were kind of like mirror images of each other where, you know, Jets controlled one game, Vegas controlled the next. Game three, that was, you know, despite the lopsided shots, um, it was a pretty even game. It was back and forth. I think, I mean, unfortunately, it's been a bit of a issue with Hellebuck this year where those like early goals against. So like it was like, I don't know if I was the first shot against that, that uh, Stevenson scored. To me, that's a shot that Hellebuck's got to make the save on. Like yeah. that was, you know, but the, the the type of team the Jets have been, uh, you know, minus the third period yesterday is they're not great at coming from behind. So no. if you give up an early one, it may be like it, it takes some air out of the room. Um, yeah. But yeah, like what do you, you know, um, as, as a fan watching from home, uh, you know, result of the game, uh, you know, as- put aside, what did you think of just like the atmosphere? Cause this is, this has been the first whiteout since pre COVID. So, sure. uh, so what, what, like, what would, what did it look, look like on TV? It looked pretty good, you know. Um, yeah, they they showed the crowd outside on um, is it Donald Street? Yeah, yeah. They showed the crowd on Donald a bunch of times, and you know, I mean, young people having fun drinking in public. So, <laughs> what, what are you gonna? Good yeah. times. Uh, and then, um, yeah, no, in the building on TV, it looked pretty great. It looked a lot of like a lot of fun, and uh, so. It's crazy. So actually, like after the hockey game, I went to the opera last night or sorry, on Saturday night. And uh, so it was like there would have been a lot more overlap had had the game ended in regulation. But of course, it went to double overtime, whatever. So we're, you know, Vegas scored. And then I was like, all right, well, I got to get myself ready. And we left or whatever. And. Uh, we went downtown and and you could see like a lot of people leaving the game still or leaving downtown or whatever. And, you know, all the costumes and outfits they had on, like um, there was uh, this one lady that we saw that had, <laughs> it wasn't like it was cold. It was brisk. I mean, you know, especially that time. anyway she had some pretty skimpy clothing on but like full white out white body paint and everything oh yeah um so yeah. you know people were into it right yeah so. they, they, they're not just wearing white t-shirts like they're they're going full out like you know yeah. full-on white costumes of you know different characters or that sort of yeah thing. but yeah um moving forward do you think like can the jets you know figure out how to win and uh is, is yeah. this is this song coming up maybe yeah. uh, tied into how the Jets can for sure maybe so, get things going? Look, as Rick Bonus, coach of the Winnipeg Jets, says, every playoff game, each playoff game is harder to win than the previous. Or I, I forget to, to paraphrase, <laughs> the next 
game is always harder to win than the previous game. The, and and so yeah, I think uh, if we look at the song, we're, it's going to be a we're playing the white stripes here, and the song the hardest button to button. So the this net game four is going to be the Jets' hardest button to button. If you follow what I'm saying here, but yeah, I think they can do it because you know what? Like the crowd's going to be on fire again. It's going to be electric. If they come out flying like they did, you know, I think it's. I mean, it's easy to say this, but look. Bucky has to step up and make a few more saves than he did in game three. Not that he played bad, but he just needs that extra save or two, you know? And uh, he's, he, I don't think he's going to have to steal a game, uh, game four, because I think the Jets will come out really hard and, and they know the urgency of the situation. They have to win. If they don't, they're down 3 1 in the series. It's not looking good. But, you know. We'll see, but uh, this will no doubt be the hardest game for the Jets to win so far until the next one. So, yeah, right here on Talking Hockey, the Hockey Talking Show, here's the White Stripes with the hardest button to button. We started living in an old house. My market birth and we would check in.
All right, that was the hardest button to button by the White Stripes right here on Talking Hockey, the Hockey Talking Show. You're tuned in, UMFM 101.5 in Winnipeg. We're here every Monday. Make sure you tune in every week uh, for uh, Hockey Talk. It's the Hockey Talking Show. That's what we do. Uh, co-host Tom here with you, and I got co-host Randy. So we talked a bunch about the Winnipeg Jets and the Vegas Golden Knights there in uh, that uh, previous segment. Randy, actually, uh, they threw a stat up on the screen during the game. Um, hit, average hits per combined hits per game or something like that. Vegas, Winnipeg, it's like lapped every other series, basically, and how physical it's been. However, it hasn't really had, that I can think of off the top of my head, has there been like a really contentious kind of referee call, no call kind of thing? I don't know that we've entirely had so. that. Yeah. Um, it's been a bit of like, you know, like, oh, why didn't they call that or whatever, but nothing egregious, if you will. Whereas some of the other series, they've seen some stuff. Let's start off with, uh, it was Friday night, um, uh, LA Kings, Edmonton Oilers game three. It went to overtime. LA ended up winning on a play that a lot of people think maybe should have been blown down. Did you see that? The, the high, the high stick, uh, the puck or whatever. That's the Uh, one series that I've been watching just as much as the jet series. I've just, I I enjoy that series a lot. It's those are two good teams. Yeah. Yeah. Did you think that was uh, uh, like, should that have been blown down? Uh, Well, I, you know, he he called it a goal, right? So then, what that means with the rules is there needs to be conclusive evidence to uh to disallow the goal. And so, if you looked at all those angles that they showed us, like sure, it looks like it might touch it, but might doesn't mean it's conclusive, right? So that's exactly. that, that's yeah. built into the rules there. Uh, but yeah, I think everyone who saw the goal saw Connor McDavid put his hand up, as in, you know, the guy hey, touched it. Yeah. And he was only a couple feet away. The ref was right there too. Um, I, you know, maybe he didn't see it or maybe he did, who knows, but, um, it's a tough call. And like, that's, that's a call that, that is like, if the, if the stick did touch the puck, it touched it like, you know, a millimeter, you know, like it was just such a, it was a brush if that, you know, and that's just that, that's like the perfect, uh, evaluation of playoff hockey. Like even the smallest little whatever like off the post yesterday in the jets game how it went off the inside of the post like just like a quarter of an inch further in and that's a goal and or even yeah. like when it comes to offsides like how closely this game is analyzed um and now with all the cameras and the replays and all that stuff like uh yeah i think it's it's that's a tough call but like it's also built into the rules that you know unless it was like you go back and watch the tape it's like okay we clearly see he touched it then you know they made the right call like that there's not much not not much not much else you can do yeah from all the different angles that they showed on tv now maybe the refs have other cameras that they're looking at but i'm not sure that they do because we've there's so many angles that they show us uh, the viewer on tv so of all of them it was like you know, they'd show it one angle and you'd be like, yeah, I touched it. And then they show it the other angle. I don't know. Yeah, you know? See? So yeah, yeah. In, in that case, you got to basically go with what you called on the ice because you can't really prove it one way or the other, I suppose. Um, I, I do think that maybe the stick touched it, but um, just based on the way that the puck was kind of going up and then it just like 
stop, you know, like, but maybe it had just reached, you know, yeah. <laughs> what goes up must come down. Knows, so, yeah. Um, it's one of those things that, like that. Um, yeah. Like it's, it's one of those questionable calls that we haven't seen uh, so far in the jet series, but how about in, in any of the other series that you're watching, are you seeing anything that, you know, has kind of irked you uh, from the refereeing well, point of view? Well, there's been um, in the Islanders Hurricanes series, there was some obvious missed calls and stuff like in game two that Carolina won in overtime. I think the Islanders should have won that game. Um, but then, of course, uh, Tavo Teravainen, I believe it was, he got slashed and like broke his hand. He's done for a while or whatever. No call of the play, <laughs> you know, which is crazy. It's yeah. crazy. Cause you can get a call on a little stick tap. If the stick breaks, it's like the arm, the ref's arm goes up immediately. So, you know, it's sometimes you just wonder what the, the criteria is for a penalty. And so that re- leads to in the heated first rounds, that leads to a lot of like violence and craziness. Yeah. You look at that Dallas, Minnesota series, man, like, um, Dumba in game one laying out Pavelski like that. That was that was a dirty hit, I think, you know. Um, and then you look at uh, the Leafs and Lightning, and I mean, this is, I don't know, like it just seems like, t- <laughs> maybe this is just my like Maple Leaf bi- uh, anti-Leaf bias or whatever, but like they just like seem like they're c- complaining about the refs the entire time always. <laughs> it's like, yeah. give it up. You know, now the Leafs are up 2-1 in the series. Maybe they'll give it a rest, but like, one of the headlines I saw this morning when I was having my coffee uh, was something about like Maple Leafs coach o- uh, Keith um, calls out uh, lightning for influencing referees or something yeah. like that. You know, what is that? I'm the like... National Enquirer of TV? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, UFO like lands on White Horse, White Horse uh, uh, front lawn or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we got about uh, 90 seconds to go here. But uh, so. We're a few games into round one. No one's getting swept. Everyone's got at least one dub. Um, yep. What's what's your series to watch? From here on out, besides the Jets, Vegas, which obviously I will be watching very closely, um, that New York, New Jersey one's shaping up real nice. I think it, it, the first two games, it looked like New York was just going to walk all over the Devils, but then they came back and they won it in overtime in game three. And I think, from here on out, that'll be a pretty tight and close one. Other than that, though, probably Oilers and Kings. That's been a beauty so far. And I think that's going full seven. <laughs> Overtime game seven, you know? So we'll see. What about you? You uh, you got your eye on anyone in particular? Yeah, I'm. I'm like I said, I'm really enjoying that Oilers-Kings series, uh, mainly because it's two, two great teams going against each other. I also like the Gretzky connection. You know, it's like Oilers versus yeah. Kings. It's kind of like, you know, Two two of Gretzky's former teams like battling for his love or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Will Ferrell was at the game in LA with his face painted black and white checkered or silver and black like yeah, checkerboard on yeah, his yeah. face. And he had that King's jacket he had on. I don't know if you saw the pictures. Man, that's a sick piece of fan yeah. gear right there. But uh All right, he's Will Ferrell. He can dig that kind of thing up yeah. if he wants to. We're, so. we're out of time here, but uh, yeah, uh yeah. I, I would say uh Keep an eye maybe on 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 the Colorado Seattle series too. I think that one's going to shape up to be a good one. But yeah, we're out of time. Sounds good. Well, we'll throw to one last tune here, and uh, that last tune is going to be 
uh, no effects song. Uh, this one is off the album called White Trash, Two Hebes in a Beam. There's your connection to the white out. Um, classic album from what, 94-ish, 93-ish. And uh, we'll go with the second track on the album, which is called Sticking in My Eye. I always loved this tune. It's a great one. And, um, you know, I don't know, hockey stick in my eye. Hey, ref. Keep your yeah. eyes on the game. Uh, they might not call it if it's a stick in your eye. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> there knows? it is. So. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah, thanks for tuning in. Keep your stick on the ice. And uh, here's no effects with uh, sticking in my eye on Talking Hockey, the Hockey Talking Show. Hockey Talking Show.